raw power. Your bike can have the cycle sound with raw power. It fits on most handlebars and makes the sound of raw power. Raw power, the motorcycle sound from Ideal. All right, welcome to Frequency 13, a safe space for Generation X, Episode 7. This is the magic episode, baby. Lucky number 7. Now, if you've been to my other podcast, you know, I don't think much of 13. I think that's a crazy number that we've made up along the way, but man, I believe in 7. <laughs> I'll tell you, I've had great weather up here this last couple of weeks. I got to, got to go out and play some disc golf. And if you haven't tried that, it's like golf, but you play it with a Frisbee. I've had a lot of fun with it over the years. Uh, I got pretty pretty serious at it one summer, I don't know, probably five or six years ago. But uh, I got to go out and play with the family. We had a great time. Weather was great. Everybody was out. Uh, naturally, no one seemed to be serious about their social distancing at the park. Maybe the people that are staying in. I don't really know. We, uh, we avoided them, and, and that's the kind of game you can do that. So I did my part for those that are listening. Uh, and then, you know what? I've also found some great, a great sci-fi show I got to tell you about. It's on Epix, E-P-I-X. I hadn't even heard of this network, but it's really cool. It's actually on, uh, uh, it was on Apple TV. It said it was free. I don't know. I think it's normally like a cable thing or whatever, but there's a streaming service called Epix. And there was a sci-fi show on there called War of the Worlds, and it just it literally came out. And it, it's a modern take on the old H.G. Wells version of it. And I'm not going to spoil it because it's literally, you know, they, they published the first season, and that's all I've been able to see, about eight episodes. But it's really cool. And, and you get these people are throwing it, it takes place in Europe. Let's, let's back that up. So it starts out, I'm thinking, okay, they're kind of going up to an observatory, and it's all... It's all, you know, uh, French, uh, French speaking with uh, subtitles, English subtitles. I'm like, ah, sometimes I can do a subtitle thing, but uh, I don't. <laughs> anyway, so uh, that's what it was. But it, 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 they're they're mainly speaking English, so it's a Northern European setting, and and really the the show was made there too. But highly worth watching if you like sci-fi. It's a different take on War of the Worlds. It's just the idea. So these people are all of a sudden thrust into being alone and and it's it's good it's really good it's not as good as other stuff but it's you know if you're stuck at home and it's free right now i highly recommend it wouldn't pay for it (laughs) and then uh later tonight we're going to talk about the sony walkman the venerable sony walkman and all the copycats i had a copycat i didn't have the real deal man uh, the <laughs> name brand stuff didn't exist in my little world. And we're going to talk about Silly Putty. You know, the story behind Silly Putty, we all know what Silly Putty is. And there's a story behind it that is absolutely unbelievable and fascinating. And it's almost as good as the Nerf football story when you think about just randomly how things happen. <laughs> my favorite part is why it's the shape of an egg. We'll get into that. And then I had to push a couple of things the next week. So we're going to talk about 7-Eleven and War Games next week. Because tonight we got a special guest. We're going to talk about bicycles. Now, I'm excited to have Austin Plett as our guest tonight. He's a United States Army veteran, a full-time college student, studying to be an astronomy teacher. He's a fitness guru, and I'm going to say nut. 
<laughs> and he's my son. So uh, one of the uh, youngest members of the millennial generation. So Austin, hey, thanks for coming on the show tonight to talk about bicycles as a mechanism of freedom. So tell me about, first of all, introduce yourself and tell me about your earliest memory of being on a bicycle. Well, thanks for having me, Dad. Uh, man, the earliest memory I have is actually eating a mailbox. Um, I remember I was about five years old, uh, and I could only ride downhills at the time. <laughs> Uphills were a dangerous scenario. I can't. I need the gravity, you know. So uh, as a five-year-old, uh, I got a little push off from you and uh, thought I was good to go. Um, didn't know how to brake yet. That's, that's right. okay. doesn't matter. Uh, the 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 mailbox did it for me. Um, went down the hill and uh, right into the mailbox. I put my hands in front of me, uh, thinking that that would help, and just hit it. And uh, oh, yeah. yeah, that yeah. traumatized me for a while. And then uh, I finally got back on it a little while later. And uh, yeah, I mean, then we what? We, we rode bikes for forever since then. Forever. That's right. I remember that, actually. That was around Easter to set a, set a time and place here. We, we had went to a park that morning for an Easter egg hunt. And this was, oh, well, this was my generation being idiots. Uh, they, they had set up this Easter egg hunt and they did all this stuff, but they had millions of kids there. It was just miserable. It was a horrible event. And so I ended up dragging you away because I was like, you know, I, the, the parents were, my people <laughs> were shoving and carrying on. It was just, it was just kind of a nasty thing. So we ended up, we ended up getting a bicycle and, uh, it was a trek and, and brought it home. And yeah, we were trying to get you to learn how to ride it. And we we're having a little trouble <laughs> mailbox, but those sidewalks were so narrow. You remember how narrow those were. So, and the, the, the mailboxes would kind of poke out. You really didn't get a full sidewalk. It's not like a modern neighborhood where you got a lot of space or, you know, they, they tuck the big mailbox bins away. These were real mailboxes. <laughs> it's funny you remember that, actually. Uh, what, so how long after that did, before you think you, you know, when did when did the idea that you could take your bike and go somewhere, when did that seed in your mind? Oh, when I was about nine, when we moved to Wyoming, uh, we lived with my cousin, uh, cousins, and uh, one of them was particularly, he's three years younger than me, Josh and uh we would ride bikes everywhere. It would allow us to, you know, reach places we'd never reached before and we realized that and we used that to our advantage to explore everything. Uh and then the neighborhood had to offer. We'd go down to the golf course right around it for some reason, uh beside it, you know, and then we'd go all the way up to the top and just use it as an exploration tool. So uh we right. loved our bikes. Loved them. Right, lots of hills. Yeah, you uh, you guys were always on those bikes, man. Do you remember what color your bike was? It was black, a Trek, as you said. Um, don't know the model. <laughs> I'll never know the model. But I, it had it came with training wheels, and we took them off at some point. Yeah, when I when I early on mailbox. Yeah, yeah, that was. I mean, they were they weren't on there very long. We we pulled them off pretty darn quick. Uh, I think because uh, you had a you had a smaller bike. You probably don't remember it as well, but. It was a, a very small bike. I, I think you. I think when we talked about this before, it was kind of that tran that that period between the time you were in one of those little trailers, which were 
fun anyway. And, you know, obviously I love bicycles always have, and I've got, I've got a, I've got a fun story about my childhood here in a second, but, uh, uh, you were on this, it was a little dirt bike looking thing and you know, your helmet was bigger than your head. <laughs> Cause that's when we started wearing helmets, right? About, about the time you were little. And this was, can I tell the age? Can I tell, tell the year? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, this, so it was about 97, 98, is when Austin uh, had this first little bike with training wheels. And we lived next to, we were in an apartment and we lived next to a, uh, oh, was that a church? No, I don't think it was. I think it was a kind of an office building thing or a healthcare building or something. But on the weekends, there was nobody there. And so similar to, you know, stories I've told you guys before about living next to a, a church parking lot, this parking lot was right next door too. So we had lots of concrete. So we played with all of our wheeled toys over there with Austin and he had this little bike with the the training wheels and he man he just go like hell <laughs> ripping around the park a lot on that thing but a couple of times we took it down to the big park do you remember any of that no i just remember seeing a picture in our old okay. pictures of me and that little bike with my it was a foam helmet yep uh, yep big blue, giant foam helmet or something yep um, yeah blue or blue or green or yeah a little of both yeah that was a fun time. But yeah, I wanted you on a bicycle from the get go, man. I couldn't wait to get you on that thing. And when you took off and actually when we got your new bike, your Trek, and you took off down the road and were able to ride it, buddy, it was on from there. I don't think we got off our bikes uh, since then. You know, we got pictures of us mountain biking and we had a, we've had a lot of fun over the years on bikes. They're an important part of of our world, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't, there's not a there's not a bad memory on a bike. Uh, that's that, right that we had you know it was just <laughs> why not you know we'd just go that's anywhere. right and uh you know we, we would take them uh when we lived in colorado even before we moved to wyoming actually now come to think of it we'd take them down that trail and it, great that little trail, trail system for miles down down to downtown if it wanted to but we didn't because i was little but nonetheless we i don't know man we went all the way over to uh uh was it interstate or highway 36 i mean it was we had some long rides, buddy. You you cut your little legs going out there. But I've always been a believer that kids can do more than we believe they can. So I figured we'd just go until we couldn't. <laughs> and you never complained, man. You you'd, you'd rip it. Remember going back up the hill, the big hill, and I challenged you to climb up it. Do you remember that? You know, I do have a memory of that. Uh, <laughs> but I don't – it's like you just said that and it sparked a memory, but I don't yeah. remember any specifics. I just remember that happening. <laughs> Memory's funny that way, isn't it? But yeah, you made it up the hill. Yeah, it was uh, it was like a challenge because we'd, we'd been up it a couple of times and walked it. And then it was like, okay, man, you can do this. And I had, of course, I'm on a mountain bike with, you know, gears. <laughs> You're on a single speed BMX style, right? So it was a little more of a challenge for you to get up that hill. But you made it. You made it. You made it. Now, what I'll tell you what's, what I'm finding interesting. I was kind of looking around. I was looking. So I had an old Huffy, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But bike riding has actually decreased between you know in the last last few number of years bike sales are down like seven and a half percent kids are just you know they're not riding their bikes to school more likely to take a bus or have a parent take them uh and you know there's all kinds of reasons why i think but some i mean some i mean they're just who knows what uh, video games play into it. I mean, that would get you off the bike more, but you'd think you'd still want to go hang out and do stuff. I still see it around, but I think extracurricular activities, the, the way the, uh, young parents today, and even, you know, people my age that still have kids want to oversubscribe, you know, the kids that they've, they've got to keep them busy doing something 
all the time. And that leaves very little time for, you know, pure explore exploration as a kid. Uh, I mean, you don't, you don't have kids at this point, but what, what do you see? Now? Do you see, what do you think? Uh, I think it's a victim of just changing times. You know, it's people change. The world changes faster than we can blink an eye. And, uh, that's true. You know, you you look at, uh, you know, the generation that raised you, I'm sure there were plenty of things that they were like, you know, damn those kids, you know, uh, why are they, you know, uh, for instance, uh, Heavy Metal when it came out, like uh, Megadeth, not oh, when it God came yes. out, rather, but, um, you know. Oh, when it came out, trust me, there yeah, was a, yeah, there was a big a time, push. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when that came out and kids were listening to it, I'm sure people were like, you know, they're going to go straight to hell for that. <laughs> and, That's uh, right. That's uh, right. You know, I think the same thing happens with bikes. Like, I'm, there might be another spike in a bike riding at some point. Who knows? Or it'll be an advanced version of a bike. You know, who knows? Um, where we well, I think, I think that's fair. And I, I want to be clear that I don't, I don't really have any problem with change. I, I'm a change advocate. I, I like it. I, I try to jump onto things as quick as they come. It's just always interesting why things change and what drives them. I think it's a, more of a social, sociological experiment in my head to, to think about those things. If we go back a little ways, bicycles at the turn of the uh, 18th to 19th century, we found that, you know, that's when people were bi- riding bikes as transportation, you know, fairly wealthy people in cities and whatnot. And they were riding the standard two-wheeled pedaled bicycle, basically, and high, high-wheeled bicycles were still around. Uh, and, and then eventually, by the time we got into the 20s, call it, it started to fade away because guess what replaced it? The automobile. People were driving cars and that has, so bicycles at that point started marketing themselves toward children. And so I was, you know, and I think you really too were probably, you were probably at the tail end. I would call myself right at the peak because I think the 60s, Things were really, you know, you heard the commercial at the beginning of the show. That was this little thing that uh, there's no visual, but it's a little rectangle. And you would rev it. You put it on to replace your handlebar and you'd rev it. And it would make that sound, right? Like you're on a motorcycle. Because what kid didn't want to be on a motorcycle, man, you know? (laughs) So that's, that's what I inherited. And so we were still riding street bikes when I was little. Uh, They, you know, you've seen the, uh, the Schwinn Stingray, for example. That's an example of them. Now, those are the kind of bikes. And then BMX was starting to come onto the scene and we were starting to do a little more of that. So, uh, you know, change happens, you know, the, the bikes got lighter and, you know, as we've, I mean, you've seen it since you were mountain biking back in the day in the, the mid two thousands. I mean, bikes and bicycles have changed themselves, right? Even mountain bikes. And you talk to people that are into mountain biking today, they don't remember, you know, the clunkers of the early eighties or the full, full rigid outfits that we rode. And we did everything they do today, but you know, they, people think you can't do anything without $10,000 under your, (laughs) I'm I'm digressing. I apologize, but (laughs) I got to tell you. So you, you remember going to my old neighborhood. I drug you there as a kid because that's what I do. (laughs) But there was a, you remember how it had become a Jehovah's witness church? Yeah, I do. Okay. So Picture the neighborhood. Now, here I am. I get home from the beauty parlor with grandma, and the first thing I do is hop on my bike. Now, my bike, the one that I'm that I spent my years as a, as a kid in the, the the best memories. Now, I've had a couple of bikes since then, but I had the Huffy Skyhawk, 
And let me tell you about the Huffy Skyhawk. It wasn't exactly the bike that, you know, I'd dreamed about, but it was one we could afford. And it had a banana seat, and it was kind of modeled after the old Stingray in a way. It didn't have a shifter on it, but, it, you know, just, and it had the regular handlebars. It didn't have the crossbar, so it wasn't BMX. Again, this was just starting to change over. It had a fender guard, and it had this really cool 70s graphic that was a, uh, kind of a plaid looking thing and it had the skyhawk on there and had fenders on it too so ben i'll tell you when i got it it was really cool and i was golly call it five maybe by the time i got it but so a couple of years later i'd been riding this thing miles because it was fraying because at first i could only go to the church parking lot but then i could ride to tim's house or david's house and it was a mile or two away and for a kid man that was something and you'd rip down the sidewalk and even though we went through bicycle safety training in elementary school, you know, I didn't ride in the street, man. I stayed on the sidewalk. At <laughs> the size of the cars and the way people drove, you just, it didn't feel like a very safe thing to do. And every car, Austin, at the time had exhaust blowing out in your face. <laughs> Let it gasoline, right? So <laughs> uh, anyway, dealt with it. Get And we, we'd go out, we'd ride these bikes, and we would ride them, you know, we'd race them. We'd make jumps with them. There was a place behind the bicycle shop, which was about, you know, it was about 3350. So 30, I lived on 32nd, 3350 was the street, and then 35th. So that's roughly, uh, you know, so call it four or five blocks away. And that's what we'd say. Hey, meet at the hills. Meet at the hills as soon as you can get down here. What? As soon as you get up in the morning on Saturday, meet at the hills. And we go to the hills. And it was just an empty lot that kids, ourselves included, had built a little track out of. And we had little jumps. And, you know, you'd go all around this field, about the size of an acre or whatever. And then when we get tired of that, we'd go around to the front uh, through the, like, a little alleyway or a little separation. And that's where we found the bike shop. <laughs> And that was, you walk through there and you talk real tough. You know, you knew all about the mongoose and the red line and every other bike in there. We just, we knew it all. So we'd go through, look at those and come back out. And on this particular day, as I come ripping out of there and leaving the hills, and it was, you know, again, we'd spend hours there. So it was about, you know, it was past, well past lunchtime. We're like, we're getting hungry. So we got to go to somebody's house and get something to eat. <laughs> so I take off out of there following a buddy. And we had to go around this corner. Now, this, if you if you think about a, an intersection and you got two roads, and right in the middle where all the cars push all the little pea gravel to, and there's like this little gravelly area, I hit that thing, and I went down. And buddy, I got three scars on my knee to this day <laughs> from where the gravel dug in, and I got blood running down my knee and the tears. <laughs> They're running down my face and I'm riding this thing to beat hell to get home. And my friends are like, Oh my God. <laughs> and I'm crying and I go ripping into the house. I throw the bike on there. Anyway, it gets covered in back teen. Have you ever heard of back teen? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I get that. That was just squirted with back teen, which didn't hurt. So that was kind of cool. Grandma's pretty good about that. Taped me all up and everything. And then I had a story to tell about the gravel. And to this day, when I see guys on motorcycles, and it's fresh in the spring, and there's still gravel on the road from the winter. I just cringe a little bit thinking about yeah, <laughs> somebody going down. You know, it just absolutely hurts, man. But we wore these bikes out. Your bike got wore out. We just, you know, that's that's the way we did things. And I feel bad for kids that are going to miss out on that. I'm sure they'll find something is just as exciting. But man, bikes were huge. Bikes were huge. Yeah, they got the 
Uh, in fact, they got the old uh, hoverboards now, right? So that's going to be their memory. Oh, you know, okay. <laughs> type of thing. I can see it, uh, I figure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Adelaide had one of those uh, she rips around on. It, the battery died. So uh, well, a little frustrating thing. Yeah. Have you heard of ripsticks? Have you seen these? Oh, yeah. Uh, Josh actually was really into them for a while. Yep. Adelaide and her girls were out yesterday all ripping around on ripsticks. They're still still doing She's had it for a number of years. But scooters, you know, uh, <laughs> you had a scooter. Shin killers. I, yeah, shin killers. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't ride them barefoot either. That little brake on the back would burn your heel. I'm going to tell you that, trying to use the brake on those things. But, hey, hey, that was, you know <laughs> – Bicycles, man. That's, I mean, that was critical. We're going to have to talk about bicycles again. We're going to have to talk about skateboards too. I'm going to have you back on some point and we're going to talk about skateboards in the future. Let me ask you, you got time for, I'm not, I know you're a big Simpsons fan. You have time for the Simpsons trivia question. Yes, absolutely. Huge fan. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> Probably watched every episode. <laughs> you know, we got to tell everybody. So uh, poor Austin, you know, he was stuck. This is back in VHS days. So when he was little, we had VHS tape. So a lot of people don't understand that and how important that was. But we would literally, you know, I would record every episode of The Simpsons. And in the evening during the week when it went to syndication, by the time, oh, 2004 or five, and I would literally buy tapes. Buy, you'd buy them by a 10-pack. And I could get, I think it was six episodes on a tape. And I would record Simpsons every night because they'd be on between... 5.30 and 6.30 or 6 to 7. I don't remember. Two half-hour segments of them, and I'd record every single one of them. <laughs> and so we watched a lot of Simpsons in our house, right? So that was it was background noise of nothing else. Uh, and today, of course, you can stream them all from Disney Disney Plus, which I'm really, really happy about. But so last week's – last week's son, uh, you, you remember the, uh, the question. It was from Season 10, Episode 17, Maximum Homer Drive. And that's where Homer has an eating contest, and he uh, he's eating <laughs> eating a steak weighing sixteen pounds, <laughs> and he's eating against Red Barkley, reliable Red Barkley. Well, Red dies during the <laughs> during the uh, eating contest. He'd already eaten a lamb before he starts into it, and he finished the sixteen pound steak, but he died. He and Homer beat him. And Homer finds out that he's a trucker and he's never missed a load. And he goes out there and he said, I'm going to deliver this Red's load and I'm going to deliver it on time. And he hops into the truck and he closes the door and he starts to pull away. And he realizes Marge, Marge is not happy about the whole situation. And she looks back at him and we see the name of Red's truck. What was the name of Red's truck? Do you know? Oh, trying to think. Uh, now I wanted to go with Red Rascal, uh, which I is it what is. my memory That's it. holds. That's it. It's Red Rascal. Okay. That's right. Red Rascal. And it's got like a, I don't know, like Pepe Le Pew or something. I'd have to look at the graphic closer and a Betty Boop character on it. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great episode. What'd you think of that episode? It's a classic, like almost all the original Simpsons. <laughs> um, the animation That's right. is incredible. Uh, it's beautiful. Season 10 was a great season. Season 6 is a great season. In fact, uh, my next question comes from Season 6, and it's actually, it might be my favorite season. Season 6 or 9, I'm kind of always on the fence between those two, but they just, the writing was perfect in those in those two seasons. But this season, I picked this particularly for you. You were born in 95. This one came out uh, several months before you were born. However, what's interesting is your love of astronomy. Now, this episode is Bart's Comet, 
and it's the uh, it's the fourteenth episode. So season six, episode fourteen. I got just a little bit of a snippet here for us. Uh, there's nothing more exciting than science. You get all the fun of sitting still, being quiet, writing down numbers, paying attention. Science has it all. Is that the telescope we're going to be looking through? Yes, but you won't be looking through it. <laughs> I forbid it. <laughs> I love that. I, I absolutely love it. I, uh, you know, I get the telescope out from time to time, and that's how it feels. It's like you know, if you're not actually using the thing, <laughs> sitting still, writing down numbers, <laughs> super exciting stuff. So, anyway, I thought you'd appreciate that. But this is the. Uh, Basically, before before when it, there's a bike in here too, so I, I, another reason I chose it. But before Bart arrives at the location where we just heard from the scene, he gets on his bike and he is riding riding there, and he has to turn on his generator. Do you remember that? He pushes the generator against the back tire, and then he because he's tooling along, finds oh it's still dark out. I got to turn on my generator, and the generator is operated from the tire, and then it lights up the headlight, and he goes one pedal. <laughs> And stops, and a pedal again. The light comes on and oh, goes yes. off. Yes, yes, yes. I remember that now. <laughs> Absolute classic. So this, this, so we end up a he. Uh, the reason Bart is going out to help Principal Skinner with the uh, with the telescope and the astronomy. That's the punishment Bart has for launching a weather balloon. Now he launches a weather balloon, and it uh, it's called uh, what the heck was the name of it? Big Butt Skinner. And that's and he goes up there and and everyone's complimenting all of his school chums are complimenting Bart uh, about uh, uh, you know how how important he is and how what what great work he does, and then Skinner's pissed right he sees this thing and he tells it and he tells the kids hey whoever can down that balloon doesn't have to learn fractions so they all start chucking rocks into his car <laughs> and then anyway anyway so. He figures out, you know, Bart looks guilty as always, and he makes Bart empty his pockets. So Bart empties his pockets, and there we see blueprints <laughs> of the of the balloon. We see pictures of Bart making the balloon. And then we also see a photo that has an alternate ending for the name of the balloon. And listeners, that is our question this week. What is the alternate name of the balloon? And we'll have that next week. So Austin, hey. It was good to have you around. Thanks. Thanks for getting on the show tonight. Really loved it. Always great talking to you, especially about stuff like bicycles and all the cool stuff we've experienced. So I'm going to have you on again. Uh, Thanks again, man. Yeah, thank you. It's been great. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. All right, folks. So the great Austin Platt, my boy. But he didn't have a Walkman. He had an iPod. So I'm going to talk about Walkmans because Walkman... For a generation extra, they were the iPod of the 70s, man. I got to tell you, they were released in 1979. So you want to go back a little ways. And I remember in fifth grade, I started seeing these things uh, at that point in time. So there was a couple of kids that would have them. And I think their parents must have had them, right? Because these things were 100 and, uh, excuse me, $200 for the first one. Now I'll have that in the show notes. You got to take a look at this thing. It's, I mean, honestly, you think about the iPod and we talk about industrial design and all these things. The original Walkman actually still holds up when you think about it from a design perspective. It's a beautiful, beautiful image, if you will, of a, or example of industrial design. And so they started making these things back then and it transformed everything. Because if you remember the last episode, we talked about the AM radio and how important AM radio was. Because stereo just really wasn't a thing at the time. 
And another thing, you know, in your car, you only had, you had this one speaker that sat up underneath the grill. So I mentioned last week that I couldn't remember why in the hell AM was so popular. It's because most cars didn't have stereos. We talk about stereo today, ubiquitous with a radio, but really what it means is, you know, stereophonic sound, both ears, right? Two, two speakers and cars had this one speaker in the center. So AM just made sense. So why would you have an AM FM machine? So at this point in time, we were starting to get into stereo. People were getting into their music. And now you had a personal stereo. And you remember I talked about what a sociopath you would be today to walk around with your music playing out loud? <laughs> well, at the time, it was cool. Everybody did it, right? Uh, and then the personal stereo came around. Sony quieted the park. That's the best way to put it. Sony quieted the park because all of a sudden, and this was a successful item because now, guess what? Now... We could walk around the park and do whatever we wanted. So, yeah, so every other every other Japanese manufacturer started making these things. Now, I didn't have one. I didn't have the Sony. I'll tell you what I did have, and you're going to laugh at this, because it's, I mean, this is how things were done back then, right? This is, <laughs> so I end up with this thing. So you were, they had these, they'd, ha they'd come on like on a commercial, and they'd have this, hey, come down to the Salt Palace, and, you know, one day only, and they'd, they'd have these guys talking real fast, and they'd flash all these images of things you could buy on the screen, and one of them was like stereo equipment and Walkmans and car stereos and all these things. And so, oh, my God, you know, I talked to my grandfather and had taken me down there. Don't know how I did it, but I did. And we went down and I, I got a Walkman, but it was just, it was a knockoff. And I think, actually, I don't know if it was really truly a knockoff, but it was made by a company called Emerson. They're still around, or at least they were. But uh, it was, a, it, they basically had taken a transistor radio, which was, you know, kind of what, what we had with a loudspeaker on the front and an antenna that you would pull up or whatever. And they took a pair of headphones, but it wasn't stereo headphones. It was dual mono. So what you had was a TRS connection. And, and basically, they wired the same. You had a two mono channel going to each headphone, so that mono channel, right, would be the uh, would be what you would hear. So we listen to this mono channel in both ears, and you didn't know any better until you put your until you put somebody else's headphones in there, and then all of a sudden you realized it. So uh, let me <laughs> let me play you this little Walkman commercial because man, it just it speaks to it, right? <laughs> The Sony Walkman. The Sony Walkman is a tiny stereo cassette player with truly incredible sound. Put on a Walkman and see the world in a whole new light. Sony Walkman. The Walkman from Sony, the one and only. That's the difference. That is literally the difference between uh, between mono and stereo you can feel the music so they got the ad right too because you could so anyway fast forward uh to 1982 now this was a special year 1982 is a special year 1983 is even more special but 1982 is special 1982 panasonic came out with a line of stereos and this is how i would end up with my first walkman it was a panasonic and I got to tell you, it was the it was the RX 1950, and this is important because today, the other day, Apple released a new uh, iPhone, the iPhone SE, and it comes in three colors. Now, this is what's funny about this. <laughs> I talked about industrial design. 
three colors came out the 1982 Panasonic RX 1950, and they happen to be the exact same colors Apple is using for the iPhone SE. There's a silver, there's a red, and there is a gray in the Panasonic. Now, Apple calls them silver, space gray, and product red with a parenthesis, which, you know, they give some of that money to age research, which is really cool too. But uh, secondarily, the colors haven't changed. So many things that change, we talked about change with Austin earlier, so many things change, they really do just stay the same because we're really at the core of our beings human, right? We all, we're all the same. As much as I love my generation, I love all the stuff we have, really at the end of the day, man, <laughs> when you sit down and talk to people, we might have different perspectives, but we're all kind of the same. And, and some things just don't change. Clothes come back. I just found it absolutely fascinating that we had the same colors on the Panasonic RX 1950. But that's not it. That's not what's so really cool about my Panasonic RX 1950. I didn't get mine until 1983. And the price had come down a little bit. And I was living with my uncle at the time. So I guarantee you they were trying to figure out what they're going to buy me for Christmas. And with the, and, you know, grandma was living with us too. So her and I had lived with my uncle and <clears throat> they ended up, you know, I obviously wanted a Walkman. I'd been wanting one for years. And the idea, the great part about this was I would be able to listen to music and it would be quiet instead of playing a loudspeaker radio, which, you know, everybody loved that. So it wasn't hard to talk <laughs> your parental units into uh, getting you a, a Walkman. So I get one. And right before that end of November, this is the best part, guys. Think about what came out, what music came out in 1983. The single came out and the, and the music video came out in uh, late November of 83. Okay, Michael Jackson's Thriller. <laughs> and guess what cassette I got? Michael Jackson's Thriller. And I'm going to tell you, I wore that thing out. I wore it. I literally wore it out. The problem with the problem with uh, stereo uh, Walkmans back in the day versus an iPod today or an iPhone is you had to get batteries, and batteries were hard to come by. They cost money, and so you wear these damn things out, and you you know you take good care of them too. We had all kinds of techniques to take care of our batteries, <laughs> and when you wear them out, so you'd hear <laughs> today if you wear out if your your device loses power, it just turns off. Okay, a lot of circuitry and whatnot. But at the time, your cassette would start going slow. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> so Michael Jackson would sound kind of goofy. But <laughs> that was the hard part, getting batteries. You'd beg, borrow, and steal batteries. And I mean steal. I don't mean that figuratively, folks. I mean steal. <laughs> Whatever it took, you had to get batteries. Now, I was not that kind of a kid. But uh, batteries were a big deal. You had to get your hands on them. You had to figure out somebody to buy them. You'd beg, borrow, and steal. Do whatever you had to get to get batteries. <laughs> Being redundant there, but that's how important battery was. Uh, and even when I was doing a paper out later on down the way, you know, that money, part of that money always went to batteries because I wanted to listen to my stereo, right? And you listen to your AM radio because you eventually figured out, too, that if you had a radio on your Walkman, it would use less power. So you would get away with that kind of thing. <laughs> so that was the Walkman. That was my experience with it. Loved it. I hope you, I mean, I hope you guys have an iPod. It's the same feeling. I don't know. Again, today you have a phone and it's just kind of built into it. So I don't know if there's that same passion that uh, somebody 12, 13 year old might have getting a phone. I think they have a passion differently, but for me, Getting that Walkman, that sense of, you know, that device that I could put on music, listen to it. It's just, it was, you know, 
it was right up there with the bike when it comes to liberating because you can listen to it loud. You know, nobody was telling you to turn it down and <laughs> maybe we're all deaf now. I don't even know, but we had a lot of fun with the Walkman and I loved it. I hope you guys remember those and uh, let me know what you think. Let me know what you've heard uh, or what you remember about your Walkman. Maybe you had the real deal, the TPS L2, which was the original one, not the WM1, right? A lot of people think that, but the TPS L2 was the first model number came out in 79. But (laughs) I got to tell you this other story real quick. And then, well, it's not going to be quick. I got to tell you the whole story. It's a great story. I'm going to, I'm going to play the, no, I'm not. I'm not actually, I'm not going. I was going to play the commercial, but the audio is of questionable quality. And it, it's just, you know, silly putty, silly putty. It's a horrible commercial. But I got to tell you the background. So it didn't start out, you know, being a thing that was going to be a toy for kids. I mean, that, it, it, okay, so it's back up. World War, World War One, or excuse me, World War Two. Now, at this point in time, in 1941, Japan had seized control of 90% of the rubber-producing nations. So if you don't know your history very well, back in, back in that period of time, we were rationing things in the U.S. We think about how hard it is to get things during the corona, coronavirus pandemic. You know, we might have one or two things missing from our shelves, but it's a testament to the supply chain and the economy and the hard work of so many people that we can get all these things because we couldn't. I mean, you had to get ration stamps for sugar, and things like that, and, you know, just to be able to feed your family because they didn't want you hoarding things. And, and it was a natural tendency. But it was patriotic, too. You would take tin and metal and all these things, rubber that was left over in your house that wasn't being used on your property. And you drag it down to these these centers in your community and the, the military concern would pick it up. Manufacturing had been converted to, uh, you know, the war effort. You remember Rosie the Riveter, right? That happened at that point in time. Women were coming into the workplace to be able to help out with the war effort, doing these things, building planes, et cetera, et cetera. But rubber was short. So there was a really big push to find a replacement product for rubber, okay? So in this, in this, in New Haven, Connecticut, there was a guy by the name of James Wright, okay? And he was, he'd been mixing chemicals, uh, you know, trying to come up with some product. That was his, his bailiwick. He was an engineer and a really smart guy, but he'd mixed two products together, silicon oil and boric acid. So the, the finished product didn't quite work out as rubber. It really didn't make itself as, you know, what he intended it to, but it was still an interesting product in itself because it had some unique properties. Well, he couldn't think of a use for it. And GE spent years trying to figure out what in the hell can we do with this product? So here we are in in uh, 1949. Now, engineers at this point in time, they'd bring this stuff to a party and adults would play with it and talk about it. And, you know, this silly little, you know, putty. <laughs> uh, but at this one at this one particular at this one particular party, there was a uh, there was a woman there and she uh, her name was what was her name? Ruth. I got to look it up here. I'm sorry. I'm going to make sure I had to get the name right because it was an interesting name. Ruth Fallgatter. She was a toy store owner and she was at one of these parties and she saw this and she thought, you know, as a toy store, owner, this might be interesting for kids somehow. So she contacted this marketing consultant. His name was uh, Peter Hogston, Peter Hodgson, excuse me. And he he was in debt already, but he went ahead and borrowed another $147 and he bought a batch of the, uh, bought the rights from GE to make this stuff. And so he, he built a batch and then it was right about Easter time. Now this is, 
that's where the Easter egg comes from, right? He's got these little little bits of silly putty. How is he going to package it and put it in the store? So he he takes these one ounce packs, he packs them in Easter eggs, and he calls it silly putty. I mean, <laughs> literally. And the sales were not really good in the beginning. It started out because you know, I mean, you see it in a little egg, you don't know anything about it. So you need you need somebody to pep it up and and, and hop it up for you. So that's where this New Yorker article came in. They mentioned it. And they talked about they talked about the uh, silly putty, and then in like three days, he sold two hundred and fifty thousand eggs of silly putty, which is just two chemicals right mixed together. It's not much to it, and it went on. It was absolutely successful. It took off all over the world. Uh, now in the Korean War, he almost he actually almost went out of business in the Korean War because there was a ration on uh, silicon, which is the main ingredient, right? So anyway, after they lifted that, things went on. And now naturally, I remember having Silly Putty. He died in 76 and his company went away. Luckily, Crayola was there to pick it up. So Crayola has Silly Putty and they've made a variety of stuff with Silly Putty. There's magnetic Silly Putty, all kinds of things. Every kid gets it. It's still about a buck. I mean, you know, even with inflation, it's still a buck. It was a buck in the beginning. It's still a buck now. Oh, excuse me. I'm at the uh, Crayola site. You know what these guys are gouging us for, for Silly Putty? $1.49. cents. <laughs> I think it's worth it. It was a lot of fun. Man, It was. I tell you, Silly Putty. Silly Putty. Anyway, happy happy Silly Putty Day. So next week, guys, next week we're going to talk about 7-Eleven and war games. Remember the scene? All right. And 7-Eleven, the candy aisle, when you would stand there and you had all those different things and the Slurpees and the big gulps. And it was just absolutely perfect. 70s, 80s. It still stands up today, but not the same as our old neighborhood 7-Eleven. And the interesting story behind that. And I got to tell you, are we having some fun? <laughs> I know I am I'm having a hell of a lot of fun, probably too much fun, actually. But hey, now is the time for you guys to take the next next step, my freak friends. I need you to I need you to consider subscribing wherever you get your podcast. And if you're particularly charitable, please rate and review. Tell your friends about the show. Hey, if you're on Facebook, look us up. And join the page, Frequency 13. I've been putting some really cool blog posts on there uh, that go into a little more detail than the show on some of these topics. And then there's my blog, uh, www.frequency13.com. It's got the expanded show notes as well. I post them both in both locations. And I'm also on Twitter, at Frequency13Pod, at Frequency13Pod, or email me at Frequency13FM at gmail.com. Thanks again, friends, and all the best.